Again tonight, we're going back to basics. We are going so much into basics, they got deep on us. We thank God for our speaker tonight, as usual, none other than Archbishop D. Miles Goffin, our patriarch, who is going to share with us the word of the Lord. And let's go in, first of all, with a word of prayer. And then the next voice you will hear is none other than Bishop D. Miles Goffin. And Father, we thank you for your kindness and your mercy and allowing us to come and just be a part of what's taking place tonight. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for your word that's being taught. We thank you for your manservant, Lord. Give him clarity of thought and precision of thinking. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Grace and peace to everyone this evening. We're going to go right into the class for this evening. Some of you are on for the first time. Just want to let you know we do this every third Monday night. We started in December by doing it every Monday night in December, and then we switched to doing it on the third Monday night of each month. Uh, those of you that missed the other sessions leading up to this, we'll be continuing this for the rest of the year. I booked this all the way to December, so when you register, you'll always be registered for the other sessions every third Monday. Um, within 24 hours, they send you a link as to where the tape is that we did for tonight will be on YouTube. And when you go there, there's a playlist so you can catch up with the other Back to Basics sessions leading into this session. I'm taking my time to construct some things with this Back to Basics that we have found ourselves into as we're developing where the class is going. We're gonna give you time at the end of the session to do your questions and answers. You can either put it in the chat or you can unmute your mic and ask the question across uh, Bishop Slade. Archbishop Slade will be uh, monitoring the chat, we monitor the questions, and we will entertain those questions and responses near the end of the presentation. I'm going to take 30 or 40 minutes to present. We'll have 10 or 15 minutes to um, do the question and answer. We'll be out at 10. So we've been maintaining this discipline and give you a chance to study for next month's session because you'll get this session and then we'll be able to go into the session for next month. As we felt, we, we decided to call this series Back to Basics. And there's a reason for that because I think that we've gotten so far away from the core of Christianity that there's a need to evaluate in this year. We've been a year into this worldwide pandemic. And so we need to uh, get back to basics. It's always a recall on every generation to get back to what the early church was all about and what it meant. That's because, and I mentioned this uh, before, we have this romance with the first century. We always look at the first century and thinking that was the better pattern. And then we have to get back to what they did in the first century. What, uh, people consider being back to being Bible-based instead of seeing the church has progressed. The church has become a long way. In fact, the ancient church is what we call the primitive church. In fact, in the first century, there were no church buildings. The church was an illegal religion of the Roman Empire. It was outlawed. People were killed. They didn't meet. They met in secret. They had to hide. And it was the first generation of people trying to understand how to live with the Holy Spirit. There was another thing that was important to the issues that were involved there. So getting back to basics is talking about getting back to the construct 
of Christianity, what the Bible is uh, places back to, because somehow or another, we may have gone too far to the right or to the left, and that stayed in the center of the will of God. So that's why we call this basics. I want to start off with a slide that I've done before, but I want uh, some of these I've done before, some of them I haven't. But I want to talk about identifying the church. And I talked about this in Matthew 16 to 18 before, when Jesus says, upon my rock, on this rock, I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail. The reason why I want to get back to this identifying slide is because right in the middle is something we want to talk about tonight, and that is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the declaration, the church, the declaration, the rock, it was a statement that Peter made that made it a rock of establishment, that he said that Jesus was the Christ, the son of the living God. He was the Christos. He was the anointed one. And so Jesus said, I will build my church as opposed to other establishments that were built. He was going to build his establishment. And he left the management of that establishment to the apostles that he called in Matthews 10 and in Matthews 28. He called them in Matthews 10 to only go to the lost house of Israel. He called them in Matthews 28 to go into all the world. So we see two commissions of the apostles, one to Israel, and that's a very important aspect. And we're going to deal with the, the concept of Israel and the church as we develop this series that's going along. But I want to focus on the Holy Spirit tonight. It's so important. There's one voice. Let's talk about the voices that are in the church, the voices. Uh, well, we have, according to Ephesians 2, 19 and 20, the foundation of the church is prophets and apostles, the prophet and the apostles. And when we talk about prophets, we got to talk about Old and New Testament prophets, because their idea was to predict the future. The idea was to predict the future plans of God for the world. Not your future, not anybody else. It's not fortune telling. This is the future that God has for the planet. So God's prophets are to predict what their assignment is, is to predict how God sees the future of, of the earth, how God sees the future of his people. That's an important analogy. So when we take the prophetic ministry and begin to honor that with the this idea of the apostolic ministry, who then, at a sense, knows from the foundation of the church when prophecy becomes present. And I can't share that enough. In the Old Testament, it talks about the sons of Issachar and how they knew the times. I believe that the apostolic ministry today is a ministry that has to know the timing of when prophetic information becomes present later. We see that on the day of Pentecost. Jesus had already shared with them to go back to Jerusalem and wait there for the promise of the, of the Father. And then waiting on the promise of the Father, Peter understands that on the day of Pentecost, and when he sees the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, he quotes Joel 2, 28, that in the last days I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. Well, in the Old Testament, God did not pour out his spirit on all flesh. He pulled, poured out his spirit on select individuals. They were not all flesh. But the prophets prophesied 
that God would one day pour out his spirit on all flesh. It was the apostolic anointing that predicted that what was future would now become present. That's an important aspect. Then the foundation of the church moves to a pastoral care or management of the church or priestly care where we offer unto God. And I made this statement, I wanna make it again, that we spend a lot of time as leaders talking for God. We don't spend enough time talking to God. Jesus spent a lot of his ministry talking to the Father. And I think we need to get back to that. Where, where revival needs to break out before it even breaks out in the church, it needs to break out in the leadership. We need to spend time honoring God, talking to him, bringing a thing. This collective idea, prophet, apostle, pastor, priest, worship, foundation, future, brings us to one voice that comes in the person of Jesus Christ, which in Hebrews 1 and 1 says that as God spoke through various methods in the past, he's now spoken to us through his son, who he's made heir of all things. I'm going to talk more about the second Adam as we develop this concept and where it's going. Let's read the scripture. This is our theme scripture we've been using. I want to keep using it because of the shift in which Jude writes this. Jude 3, beloved, while I was diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. Remember, I started off this, uh, for those of you who were with me from the beginning, back in early December, talking about Jude's manner in writing this particular epistle. It's an open general epistle to the body of Christ, not any one particular church. But at this point, the church has now progressed some 30, 40, 50 years, and he's concerned about them. He wants to write about their common salvation. What is that? The common salvation. That's an important point. What was what was Peter, or what was you talking about when he referred to common salvation? Well, he was referring to what we all believe in, what we all accept, that salvation is in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So he said, I, he found it necessary to shift in terms of a celebration or thanksgiving for our common salvation but now he wants to exhort them to contend for the faith. So there is, I've told you in, in, in polemics, which is a way of apologetics. Polemics is dealing with people inside the church. There was cancer going inside the church that they earnestly contend for the faith. Remember this Greek word pistos is both a noun and a verb. As a verb, it means to believe. As a noun, it means to have confidence, assurance. It means to have a firm foundation. So he asks them to contend earnestly for your firm foundation, which was once delivered to all the saints. Let's go back to basics. That's an important issue. So let's go back to basics here, Jude 3. The focus I said we need to do is to refocus, refocus our concept, reflect on our history, and realign our vision. Refocus. It's one thing to think you see or know where God is. And I think in this season, 
in ministry, we're all probably trying to have to be focused where we thought God was, or where we thought God was moving. And God does that because he doesn't want us to be presumptuous about what we think God is doing. Because his thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways as far as the heavens are above the earth. So it's his ways above our ways. We reflect. We've got to reflect how God's dealt with us in the past. Thank him for that. But not assume that our reflection is going to be our direction. Let me say that again. We cannot assume because we have a history. And that history may be very good, but that, that, that history does not dictate our direction. We have to realign ourselves. That God is doing, as he told Israel and Isaiah, he's getting ready to do a new thing. We can reflect and we thank God for where we've been. For instance, many of the children of Israel march around the walls of Jericho for six days. Every wall is not going to come down by marching around. Some are going to have to clam, and others we're just going to have to tear down. So as we reflect on what God is doing in the past, let's not try to make a monument out of a movement and try to keep repeating over and over again what we've been reflecting on. And that's been our problem. Instead of realigning to what and be prepared for the unusual for the surprise of the Holy Spirit to realign us in something different. We want to keep repeating and going over and over again what we think we know about God. That's why we have to refocus, reflect, and then realign ourselves. Focus our ministry. Reflect on our history. Realign our purpose. We focus our ministry. Many of us have found this in the last year. A tremendous time to refocus our ministry. We had to go digital. Um, ministry is not the same the way it used to be. Does that mean God's not still there? No, it doesn't. But we got to evaluate what does it mean? What is God saying to us in this season? What is direction that God has for us in this season? Sometimes we may not know for some time what God is doing. Another point I want to make is that we always get 2020 vision after the storm. So we might have to wait until this storm is over before we see clearly what God is trying to show us. Verse four, Jude four. For certain men, he says, this is why you got to earnestly contend for the faith. Because see, the devil has two tricks. If he can't destroy the faith, he'll try to infiltrate the faith. They have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were mocked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the very Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Judas said, we got to watch the infiltration of false teachers within the church while we're trying to guard ourselves from unbelievers outside the church. If something happened in the church that's creeping in, Jude said, Certain men have crept in unnoticed. Why? Because they talk like us, they sing like us, they look like us, they worship like us, and we assume they are just like us. I want to put this in context with the Message Bible, Jude 3. Dear friends, 
I've dropped everything to write on you about this life of salvation that we have in common. I have to write insisting, begging, that you fight with everything you have in you for this faith entrusted to us as a gift to God and church. What is he saying? Basically, he's saying that the time is now to fight. The polemics that are in the church now are tremendous. And they are really moving us into a, a pattern that we don't want to be in. We're, we have to be in this pattern of always trusting and believing and understanding that we have to keep our focus on the Lord and not be distracted by all the distractions that get around us. God, know what you believe and why you believe it and trust in what you believe and let anyone have you question your relationship with the Lord. First Peter 3.15, here's our apologetics. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Lord's intent, I need to keep this before you every time. God's purpose is establish relationships, not religion. We're so busy trying to be religious, we missed the purpose of, of relationships. The, 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 key, the key word in the whole New Testament is love. The key word in the whole Old Testament is justice. We start with righteous Abel, and from there on, God is seeking justice for those who are righteous or attempting to be righteous. The, the cry of justice ends in Malachi with the promise of the coming of Elijah to become, to come. And then it culminates in the New Testament by showing that love is greater than the law and that the spirit of the law, which is summed up in the love of Christ, that God comes into the world to die for sinners. Galatians 4 and 4. When the fullness of time came, Christ died for the ungodly. God's, God's purpose is to establish a family of sons and daughters, not subjects. So when he put Adam and Eve in the garden, he wanted to establish a family relationship, not a king-subject relationship. But here's where we are. If we can't get to this pattern or move out of the pattern, I'm going to show you uh, the pattern, the five-fold pattern we've been covering for some while. But I think it begins with revival. Revival has got to release reform. And then reform comes to restoration. And let's get these three hours straight in our mind. What is a revival? To come from out of dry season into a very prosperous season. God's calling revival. No, not a clapping of hands. Not just a service where we raise a lot of money. Not just a service where we have a lot of singing and worship. I'm talking about a real revival where hearts are cut, souls are touched, and becomes a time of recommitment to God. You know you have revival when you see reform. We weren't going back to the same old, same old. However, what we're doing, we, we always learn in a season like this that there's going to there's be a new coming out of the old. Jesus said, you cannot put new wine in old wineskins. You can only stretch people for so far in one season. Now you got to create new wineskins for the new wine. 
because the wine will make the skin stretch. The more words you get, the more growth you're going to have. If you're not careful, if you keep trying to put all this powerful illumination and, and revelation in the old you, you're going to burst. From out of this, it's got to come a new you, a reform. So then we get to the restoration of the power of God. I'm going to talk about something about this restoration in a minute, but I want to continue for a minute. Remember this slide in the beginning, we talk about the basics of Christianity. These three questions are very important. And sometimes we spend more time trying to tell people how to become a Christian on number two, and not enough time on number one. Why should they become a Christian? We don't spend a lot of time on the why, we spend more time on the how. And then we never really help them to discover basic beliefs of Christianity. There are other basic beliefs, they're essentials. We'll talk about those at some point. But why become a Christian? Why? What is life different as a Christian than it is as an unbeliever? Or as the Bible calls it, a sinner? We're so busy trying to walk people through the ABCs of salvation, how to become a Christian, however our formula is to get one to be a Christian. We're into the how without even getting them to the why. But discovering these basic beliefs of Christianity, first of all, faith in the person and work of Christ as Savior and Lord. Obedience to the law of God. Experience in the love and power of God. Knowledge of systematic and dogma. Systematic studies. Interest ecclesiastical practice and tradition. He's like, why should I become a Christian? Because we want to be like Christ. In order to get people to the how, you've got to explain to them the why. Why should I be saved? Not how I should be saved. We spend more time trying to people how to get saved. Haven't even told them why they need to be saved. Let's get back to basics. We'll talk more about this. We've got time. We've got the rest of the year. All right, here was this understanding that we came to that really put us into something that we need to learn. God begins everything, let's go clockwise. He begins everything with a promise. First promise is in Genesis 3.15. made a promise to the woman that her seed would brood the serpents and, and put him under. The first promise is that there would be redemption. There would be justice the injustice that was done to the woman in the garden. From that, we see when they are pulled out of bondage, they are taught a pattern. The Lord pulled them out of the wilderness to teach them how to worship. Pattern was worship. Feast days, annual days, the worship. He taught them to worship. It, if you're going to give people a problem, the promise, the next thing you got to do is teach them how to worship. But worship comes with certain regulations. So he gave them the principles. That's the law. So the law is given in Exodus 20. This is the law you have to do because the pattern of worship is no good without the keeping of the law. And once, once you've established the pattern and you move to the principle, God will give you the provision 
provision of what? Let's go backwards now. The provision of keeping principle so that then you can be perfected in the pattern. Only then we discover why this, the pattern, the principle, and the provision brings us to the purpose. Beloved, John says, now we the sons of God, but it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know when he shall appear, we shall be just like him. Look at this pattern of five Ps going around the throne. God has a purpose in mind. We don't even fully understand that full purpose, but it's there. The point is, if we never get past the pattern, some people make the pattern holy. The pattern was never supposed to be holy. It was supposed to be a blueprint. Then others make the principle their religion. We were never supposed to be religious by the principle of doing good works. You do good works because you are saved, not to get saved. So the pattern, the principle should not create religion and the pattern will not make you holy. I don't care how many feast days you keep. I don't care how many names of God you think you know. The pattern will never make you holy. The principle or the law will never make you religious. The provision will never justify you. That's because in the provision, you get deliverance. I just do DL for deliverance. The ultimate provision is not only to get deliverance, but I'll do leave for victory. So we are. The principle is not producing religion, but should it produce? Let me do this big S here. It should produce spirituality. That we become spiritual, not religious. Religious means we do things by our own standards, by our own viewpoints. Spirituality means we do it by God's principles. This is a book of Hebrews, and we're going to discuss that later, that creates that, that the people could not move from the pattern because they wanted to maintain the pattern of worship. They wanted to make the principle or the law so justifiable as to what they wanted to do and really couldn't see but God was trying to take them because their vision was stuck on the pattern. And so they never, so God always had to do, here's where he stuck at, these three, the pattern, the principle, the provision. Because they blow the principle, they get stuck in the pattern. God's always had to turn around here and do a deliverance, get them back on the pattern track again so they can move to the principle then he provides for them again. He has to keep going, circling back and forth. Can never move them to the purpose because they're too busy staying on the pattern. We've done this with religious patterns over and over with God. God wants us to grow in him, but we're stuck in the pattern. And so we never, so 
fulfill the purpose that God has for us because we're still stuck in the pattern. The pattern, let me suggest something right here. I wanna suggest something. Before I get to this part, I wanna get this part. I was viewing a building that was being torn down on TV, a very important, powerful building, been up for many, many years. And I realized there were three aspects to a building. After it's built, and we lived in it a while, every building needs repairs. There's always need for repairs in the building. When the repairs become so numerous, there must be renovations that you either, you know, I, I looked at a um, commercial on TV about a bath fitter that, that instead of tearing out your old bathroom, they could come on renovations and cover up the old with the new. And so it looks like a brand new bathroom, but actually underneath it is the same old structure. That's the problem we have with our roads and bridges now. We didn't cover it up with cement and concrete so much that they're starting to crack and now pipes are bursting all over the place. Mississippi and New York, everywhere else pipes are bursting because we've done so many river renovations. So we've covered it up. First, we tried to repair the church. We tried to repair it. And when that didn't work, we tried to renovate it. Stuff that was messed up, we just covered up. Now we have to pay place that you evaluate the repairs. You look at the renovations and suddenly it becomes too costly to keep repairing. Doesn't make any sense to keep doing renovations. The only thing you can do now is reconstruct. Tear a whole building down and put something else in this place. I'm just suggesting. That seems to be the pattern with buildings. We try to repair them where we can. We patch up here and there. That doesn't work. We try to renovate. We cover up what can't be repaired by making it look cosmetically beautiful. And that no longer works. We have to implode the whole structure and reconstruct something else. At what stage is the church in? Are we in the repair stage? The renovation stage? Or do we need to reconstruct a whole new church? Well, here's what happens. It tells you repair, renovations, or reconstructions. As some Christians begin to yearn for a manifestation of God's power, a leader or leaders arise with prophetic insights into the causes and remedies of the problems. And a new awareness of holy and pure character of the Lord is presence. What happens? Do we repair? Do we renovate? Or do we reconstruct? This standard of holiness exposes the, the generation of the age and simulates stimulates a thriving after holiness by God's people. Because the questions come, do we repair? Do we renovate? Do we reconstruct? The leaders find that their eagerness for God's moving is shared by many who have been waiting for God to act and who will rise to follow. 
somebody's got to spark the flame. Others will provide the fuel. But the questions are, is the church, does the church need repairing? Does it need to be renovated? Or do we tear down the whole facade of what we think church is and go back to basics? I don't know if I'm gonna get enough of this or not, but there are certain points I want to point out. That God has mediated general direction from God, general revelation, God's trying to show us a salt, disclosure of a salt. That's why that promise to the pattern, to the principle, to the provision, to the purpose has a thing with God. He said, why didn't God just jump right to the purpose. No, he needs to create the pattern because the pattern is going to take you somewhere as you keep practicing the pattern. And as you try to keep upholding the principle, God sends the provision, which is the Holy Spirit, that will move us to the purpose of what he intended for us to be and what he intended to do through us from the beginning. So God has done creation. No, he created everything first. The last thing he did was created man. And so creation was done first. When I talk about creation, I talk about you know, the cosmos, the sun, the moon, the stars, everything that's involved in that, the earth, the plants, the nature, the heavens declare the glory of God, Psalms 19, the earth, its handiwork. And God did all this to reveal himself. The filter to God's self-revelation was creation. That was general revelation. Here it is right here. God said, I'll create everything and man will see the wonders of creation and want to worship me for who I am. The perversion of this is that Paul says in Romans chapter one, did they start worshiping the creation more than the creator? It was the creation that was meant to reveal who God is. And yet, we stopped as human beings, instead of going to the creator, we started just worshiping the creation. Perversion. Again, do we repair? Do we renovate? Do we reconstruct? Here's the media general revelation. God implants a neat nature of himself in human beings. Even with all this going on, with, even with the creation and God coming down, God has done something interesting because inside of us, he breathed his breath into man and man became a living soul. God's breath, his spirit, produced a living human being with the earth and his spirit. That was an innate sense of himself and every human being, God has put an innate system or sense of himself inside of us. There's something inside of us that longs for us to want to know God, to want to be like God, to want to see God, to want to hear God, to want to feel God. God's put that inside of us. It's a clue. It's a key. But again, do we repair? Do we renovate? Do we reconstruct? How do I know? Let me give you a, a clue. 
Hebrews chapter six, verse one, two, and three. He said, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, move on to perfection. And then he gives certain things that they would do on repentance, kingdom works, baptisms, all these. He's not saying leave them out, but he said, you can't move on to deeper revelation until you get to verse three. He says, this we will do if God permits. Anybody knew anything about construction is that you full of building permits all the time. Electricians got to have permits, carpenters got to have permits, plumbers got to have permits, everybody have permits, permits to build. Same way in the kingdom. We need apostles, prophets, bishops, pastors with permits, showing that God has permitted them. Not exaggerations, but permits. Where's your building permit? Told Jeremiah, I've called you to tear down, but also to build up. Jeremiah 1, you can see, he didn't want Jeremiah to just have a tearing down ministry. There are too many leaders today who have a tearing down ministry, but don't have the ability to build up when they tear down. And so when we specialize in the tearing down ministry, we hurt people. We hurt the ministry. We hurt God's heart. The Bible says, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. Don't grieve it, because all we want to do is tear down. My mother, when I was little, I was a very curious little boy, and I would be around the house pulling apart everything. He said, let's watch it. I would pull that apart. I just wanted to see what made things work. Apparently, my mother told me, put it back together. And I couldn't figure out how to put things back together that I opened up, which she was teaching me a lesson about. If you can't repair it, don't destroy it. This is where you miss being in church. Because I need to see some faces right now. General revelation is as God, the creator. That's what we learn in general revelation. The creation has taught us that we have to have an offer God. God is creator. That's, that's what it means. Special revelation gives us God the redeemer. He's revealed to those who hear. Revelation is given to all human beings. General revelation. Every human being. Because God put an innate sense of knowing him inside of us. You got a sense of knowing God, where he's at. I see some things going on in the chat. We're going to get you in a minute. I want to finish this last slide. Well, there's two slides I want to finish. A mystery is not to be confused with a paradox, which involves a logical contradiction. And I'm going here about mystery because all of this is summed up in knowing the mystery of God. A mystery goes beyond reason, but not against reason. There is no contradiction contradiction, yet we lack comprehension. We don't conclude or get to understand the mystery. Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.16, or 1 Timothy 3.16, great is the mystery of godliness. The mystery of godliness is great. We talked about three mysteries when we talk about the mystery of God, the mystery of the church, and the mystery of sin. We don't get to those. Stick with me. 
Another characteristic of a mystery is that while we know that both elements making up the mystery are true and ultimately fit together, nevertheless, we do not know how they are compatible. Mystery do not call for answers, they call for insights. We will not solve mysteries. That's why the mystery of God is great. It's not a solvable thing. It is insight. It is something God has to reveal. If it is insight, it becomes something very interesting because now we are stuck. And I want to conclude here. We're stuck with these three entities, revelation, mystery, and illumination. Let's put these in context because these are, these are what takes you back to basics and also will lead you to spiritual maturity. God does everything through revelation. We just looked at general revelation. General revelation is revelation of God as creator. Everybody gets that, a general relation God's creator. The relationship of God as redeemer is a special revelation. It's only given to those who open up their heart by faith. That's why Jews said, earnestly contend for the faith. Revelation, basic understanding of revelation, the word means something that was hid in the past, but is revealed in the present. And so Paul tells us about the revelation of the church. It was not discussed in the past. Nobody in the past, none of the prophets even knew anything about there was going to be a church. Gee, the prophets didn't even know that Jesus was going to come in two comings. Messiah was there. They just knew that he was coming. We don't know. We only know through Revelation right now that there are two stages of his parosa, his first coming and his second coming. We didn't get that in the Old Testament. Not in the Old Testament told us about Christ coming two times. It just said that he was coming. Revelation is something that's been hidden in the past and God now reveals in the presence. So when we, do, when we really dig into Revelation uh, in Ephesians 3, when, he, when Paul talks about the revelation of the mystery that God had given him concerning the church and how this church was going to come into fruition, we get this through revelation. God hid it in the past, but he's now revealing it in the present. There's certain things God is revealing in the present that has nothing to do with what has not been revealed in the past because it's a present day revelation. What Paul experienced and this time with the mystery of the church was a present day revelation. Mystery. God is a mystery within itself. It is something that we apprehend, but we cannot comprehend. Mysteries are not solvable. We don't solve mysteries. We just have to get involved in God will, will, will get. Now, here's, here's the key at the bottom. God illuminates us with revelation and with mysteries. He illuminates us. He, he comforts us that the mystery is nothing we have to worry about because according to 1 Corinthians 13 and 12, we see through a glass darkly. So there are things that we're not going to even comprehend in this life. In, the, in theology, when we talk about the, the character of God or the attributes of God, we also know that they are what we call commutable attributes, those things that God chose to reveal about himself to us. And there are non-commutable attributes, things about God that he can reveal to us 
at this time, or it's not time for it. There's things about God we will we will not know in this life. We will only know in the next life. So those are what we call non-commutable attributes. I think one kind of commutable attributes is a true relationship between the Father and the Son that we keep trying to define and we keep trying to call it uh, oneness, trinity, whatever we want to do. It's a mystery. We'll never comprehend it. The more I think I know about God, the less I find out I really don't know. I feel like a little kid sitting in all of the wonders and the knowledge and the things of God. And just when I think I got this, the Holy Spirit shows up. It says, take another look. What I thought was a revelation suddenly is a mystery. And what I thought was a mystery suddenly became a revelation. All of this came through this interesting word in the Bible, at the bottom that's called illumination, which simply means the light bulb comes on. Suddenly you know that you know. What I have is a present day revelation. What I don't know is still a mystery, but I'm comprehending the mystery more and more. I believe that the real issue of the Godhead has been missed because we keep focusing on the wrong part of the Godhead. We keep focusing on the Father, creator God, and the Son, the Redeemer, the invisible and the visible. Yet the entrance, if Jesus is the door in John 10, I contend unto you that the key then is the Holy Spirit who has to illuminate us. Jesus said he gave the key and we keep missing it. When he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. There's a spiritual illumination that has to come to break the bands of present revelation, because it's already there. It just has not become our present, because we're too stubbornly stuck in the pattern. So I conclude again. Do we repair? Do we renovate? Or do we reconstruct? Well, once again, <laughs> once again, we have been illuminated <laughs> through this teaching. Oh, man. So now we're getting ready to head on. Any questions? I have one already in the docket, ready to come forth. If you have the questions, please feel free to write them, and we will definitely give um, you time. First question, how can we recognize we are stuck repeating the pattern when the provisions are still being received. What are some of the practical ways to break that habit? First of all, let me start from what you said at the, at the end. The provisions are still being received. The blessings are still being received. Let's not, and, and, and let me say, let's not confuse provisions with blessings uh, because God is constantly blessing us. He blessed in the wilderness. While they were in a dry place, he constantly blessed them there. But that wasn't provision, that was, that was blessings. Where they were going to was gonna be provisions because he was blessing them with 
with manner in the wilderness, he provided them Canaan, which was going to be their blessing. It was going to be the place of rest. Provision is always your resting place. Okay. How can That's we? I don't know. That's why I keep asking the question. Do we repair? Do we renovate? Do we rebuild? That's not satisfactory. Please feel free to continue to ask the question. And you can unmute yourself and talk too. You don't have to just chat. You can unmute yourself and talk. Anybody else have anything? Is it possible that we are in all three phases? No. We can't be in all three stages. That's why I gave the analogy of a building. Either you're repairing a building, you're renovating a building, or you're going to tear it down. I don't know if you can do all three stages to that, that, that idea. I think right now what we see, that's, that's when an awakening comes. And I haven't gotten that part. I wanted to get that part. I just didn't have enough time to get this idea of awakening. Every time, but let me share this. I'm going to do this next month. Every time we get to an awakening, what part of God shows up? It's the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is a part of God that always shows up. When we get to an awakening and move God, and we keep missing that he's the key. And every time that God begins to shake the church, revitalize the church, we see another outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And then when we get comfortable with that, we go back to trying to do our own thing. And we keep missing the guidance and the leading of the Holy Spirit. That's what's so important. Amen. Amen. Is there any other questions? I guess you did a superb job tonight and answered all the questions. Thank you, Bishop. Oh, here we got another one. So how do we stay being led by the Holy Spirit. How do we what now? So how do we stay being led by the Holy Spirit? Praying and worshiping before God, committing yourself, going into your secret closet, uh, constantly getting the focus off of, I shared another class I did earlier tonight that I've been evaluating my um, phone now, uh, tells me how much screen time I've been using on my uh, phone. I've been evaluating my screen time with my study time and um, trying to balance myself out um, because the more, the only reason I'm getting these incense is because I've been spending some time with the Lord. I think it, it comes out, we get the fruit comes out as you start spending more time with the Lord and letting him impart in you. Not coming to the session already thinking you know, but you see what God's getting ready to develop. All right, got another question. So can we drift away from God under the disguise of a revelation? Yes. That's what Jude 3 and, and verse 4 was talking about. Certain men have crept in. You got to be careful. You got to be very careful because there's an infiltration. And I talked about last month about the idea of apologetics. It's called polemics when we have to defend the gospel to people inside the church, it's called polemics. And what happens is that we're seeing, because of the rise of so many preachers and teachers who are uncredentialed, 
who have not gotten their permits, who are not accredited, who are speaking stuff just in the air with no support or proof, no anointing behind them, no facts behind them, and people just have an itch in the ears turning to that. We see it all the time. That's why I'm using Jude 3 as a, as a scripture. Uh, I'm, I'm, pre I'm talking about your common faith, but I want you to do is earnestly contend for the faith. Any other questions? Okay, we got one. Um, is that happening in today's church? How do we respond to it? I guess we're going to respond like we like we're doing now. We're going to study. We're going to discover. We're going to let the Holy Spirit lead. You know, uh, that's why I set up this class, so we can help discover, get back on track. I'm throwing back the basics for an entire year. I'm trying to impart to those who want to impart. I mean, we don't have but so many people on tonight, but yet we have 40, 50 people registered. But there's not 40, 50 people online. Everybody, for a reason, maybe they'll look at it later. But, you know, it's a matter of you wanting to absorb what God has made available for you. Bishop Slater makes the point. Uh, Archbishop Slater says you can take the horse to the trough, but you can't make him drink. That's right. That's it. Is there anyone else that has something that they want to share or they want to ask the question? There's no bad questions. So I say, if this happening in the church, how do we respond to it? Pray. It's prayer that will loosen on awakening. Because revival is going to come to a deep sense of longing for God. I don't mean another program. I don't mean another service. I'm talking about real revival. That's what we haven't had for a while. There are two great awakenings. Well, there's three great awakenings that's happening. Uh, two of them are 100 years apart. Well, actually, all three of them are 100 years apart. 1730, we had the first great awakening. 1830, we had the the uh, second great awakening, and 1906, we had the third great awakening. Each of these produce an awareness of the Holy Spirit. Not God as creator, not God as redeemer, but the Holy Spirit as the power of God. So we throw the key out. That's the key to knowing who Jesus is. And once we know who Jesus is, Jesus will reveal to us who the Father is. But the pattern has to work backwards. We can't know the Father and then try to know the Son through the Father and then try to disguise ourselves with the Holy Spirit. Now we've got to go through the Holy Spirit because he will reveal the Son and the Son will reveal the Father. All right. All right. It's 9.55. It's 9.55, Bishop. We, won't, we don't want to um, leave <laughs> no, enough room that we can give or have a heart to give. And um, and we also have a comment, a great lesson tonight. Uh, we want to yeah. make sure that we be a blessing to our uh, Archbishop. And if you want to sow a seed, we have Cash App, PayPal. Um, please feel free. The Bible says, muzzle not the ox that treadeth upon the cross. You know. Amen. I'm going to ask you to sow a seed uh, so you can be blessed. 
and we do this every month. We just ask you to sow a seed. We didn't charge to these classes. Uh, I try to pour out my spirit each month. I'd be praying over what to do. And we just ask people to sow a seed. So I hope you've been blessed. You can always email me if you have any other questions. Uh, 24 hours after this session, you'll get an email telling you about this tape, where it is, and how to go view it. And then the other tapes will be there also you can view. Also on my blog, which I put in the chat section, this tape will be available on the blog. You can listen to it on your phone as you travel. So there's a blog and, and anchor that we look at it from there. And then of course, this session we look at here so you can gain insight into the word of God.